Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Do or do not. There is no truth. You think that's air you're breathing in? Are you ready? Are you waking up? Because you're listening to the Urban Yogi Podcast with Will Blunderfield. What is up, fam? Welcome back to the show. Thanks to my brother, Stephen Leckie, for creating that amazing intro music. I'm Will Blunderfield, the host of the Urban Yogi Podcast and the creator of the Wild Masculine Semen Retention Training over at willblunderfield.ca. Today we have a huge uh, medical uh, and holistic inspiration of mine. Her name is Dr. Kelly Brogan. Kelly Brogan, MD, is a holistic psychiatrist, author of the New York Times bestselling book, A Mind of Your Own, Own Yourself, the children's book, A Time for Rain, and co-editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She's the founder of the online healing program, Vital Mind Reset, and the membership community, Vital Life Project. She completed her psychiatric training and fellowship at NYU Medical Center after graduating from Cornell University Medical College and has a BS from MIT in systems neuroscience. She has specialized in a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. And she has written, along with Dr. Andrew Kaufman, uh, Torsten Engelbrecht, and Magdalene Taylor, a fantastic ebook that you can get at her website, kellybroganmd.com along with a lot of other free and amazing content. It is called, Is HIV to AIDS What SARS-CoV-2 Is to COVID? It really shines a light on what's been going on, not just for the last couple of years, but for the last 30 to 40 years. We get into the nitty gritty of her ebook, and we also talk about a lot of empowering um, ways to exit the matrix, to get out of that... Um, control triangle of victimizer, victim, and hero, and really come into our power. I hope you enjoy my interview with the one and only Kelly Brogan, MD. So we have Dr. Brogan in the house. (laughs) Happy to be here. So happy that you're here. I always like to start the interview with like some sort of Montauk Chia technology, or I know you're a Kundalini yoga teacher as well. Um, I did the Kundalini yoga training in 2017, and it's been so helpful in like processing stress and trauma. Same with breath work. I don't know if you've heard of the six healing sounds. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love, I was thinking we could do that. So basically you just bring your hands to your lungs. We do it in the creation cycle order. So you inhale the white light of courage into the lungs. And then turn the thumbs out, let go of any sadness with the S sound. And we'll do two breaths per organ because the uh, thumbs are the outer extension of the lung meridian in Chinese medicine. So inhale the white light of courage into the lungs. And then just let go of any sadness, like a thick gray smoke out the mouth. And then we'll bring our hands to our kidneys. Inhale the sapphire blue light of calm into the kidneys. And then you just bring your hands to your knees and you push your kidneys back and you let the fear go with CHU. Releasing it to Mother Earth so she can compost it. Inhaling the blue light of calm into the kidneys. And releasing any fear, CHU. 
like a thick gray smoke. And the next organ is the liver on the right side, inhaling the beautiful green light of kindness into the liver. And then you push the liver out to the right as you come down to the left and you let go of any anger, SH. Inhaling the green light of kindness into the liver. Just letting go of any anger. Traditionally, the when we let go of the negative emotion, we open the eyes, but whatever feels best. And then the red light of joy, we inhale into the heart. And then we push the heart out to the left, come down to the right, let go of any self-hatred or impatience, H-A. Inhaling joy into the heart. Releasing self-hatred and impatience, H-A. And then last but not least, the spleen. Underneath the left ribcage, we traditionally chi knife the spleen. So you basically just gently press into the spleen underneath the ribs like that. So we inhale the yellow light of openness and trust into our spleen. And then we release any worry or excessive thinking with the HO, like a very guttural ho. Inhaling openness into the spleen. Releasing excessive thinking, HO. And then the last of the six healing sounds is the, what we call the triple warmer. And so you basically just relax back in your chair and you just visualize the head cauldron, the heart cauldron, and the lower dantian comprised of the rectum sex organ navel, as we say in Kundalini Yoga. And you just visualize clear light, just purifying your whole system and any stagnant energy, just leaving the bubbling spring point in the foot, which is right there on either side of the foot. It's the most grounded point of the body. I'm on a earthing mat up here in this high rise, stay anchored. So we inhale the clear light coming down. H-E-E. Two more. Beaming the happy healing light of your inner smile to every cell. Beautiful. Thank you for doing that with me. Thank you. That was My beautiful. Pleasure. I love that version. The one that I practiced and learned um, <laughs> was less elegant. I remember okay. my, my daughter was would run around the house and she'd be like, ooh, 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 because that was the like, kidney sound was something like that. And okay. She, <laughs> She's like, what I'm doing? <laughs> but I kind of like it. Yeah, I learned it from... Um, Ming Tang Gu, who's okay. uh, yeah, he's a Qigong master who's a dear friend and um, been one of the yeah interesting um, sort of I guess I don't know what what do we call it a speciation you know experience where he's gone you know the way of even requiring vaccines for his retreats and you know oh, he God. he's he's seen what Qigong can do firsthand he knows what the body can do you know yes. it's, that's when you know it's not about science or information, right? I mean, 
That's just it. It's um, I was talking with Dr. Northrup about this. It's like even one of my favorite spiritual teachers, Abraham Hicks. Yes. You know, yes one of their yes. missions. We are just yes. we, we do it. We normally don't say this, but there are just throngs of non-physical scientists and what, who once were doctors and they're just so happy everybody's getting injected. I'm like, what is happening? I know. And I, I have to some part of me has to believe like the cosmic wink, like yeah. that that she agreed somehow to play that part, you right. know, so that people who might outsource their agency to her yep. will learn, you know, that there's, there's none of that any longer. We can't do that any longer. Yes. Um, the guru is, is done. Yeah. The guru is, is dead in ways. Yeah. Totally. And in Kundalini Yoga, we, we always start with on Namo, Guru Dev Namo. I bow to the teacher within me. Within. Yeah rather than like some and even with yogi bhajan we i was gonna say and, and did he, he played I, his part well to yes, help he us. Did. <laughs> totally totally um so i just want to thank you basically for for saving my life and especially my sanity uh back in to that like five thousand years uh, five, <laughs> it feels like it, right? A hundred lifetimes like, ago was, you know, like way back in the piscean age <laughs> um you know, I come from a, a family. Um, my parents, one of them is a psychiatrist um, and, you know, yes. medical doctor family. Uh, God bless them. I love them. They're very <laughs> allopathically minded, uh, whereas I'm not. Um, so it was difficult to stay sane as a student of Germanic New Medicine. You know, when I discovered that a partner that I was dating back then tested positive for the so-called HIV, uh, you along with Dr. Northrup and my German New Medicine tribe and teachers like Annalie Elman here in Vancouver, who teaches German New Medicine, as well as Dr. Melissa Sell yes. uh, and Dr. Stefan Lenka, who I got to speak with on the phone. Um, they were, you guys were all so clear in explaining the fraud around this issue uh, that I was able to grow from that experience and help others rise out of fear and programming uh, rather than being crushed by it. So thank you. Well, you were ready, right? And and sometimes on our path, as we are stepping into that inner knowing, we really need to be held. You know, I guess that's what community was always for at, at some point tribe, you know, is, is yeah. to be held when you are really taking those first steps towards yourself. Uh, and so you attracted these pretty unique folks, right? Like right. certainly um, polarizing individuals and uh, affirmed what you knew to be true, which is that the body does not make mistakes. And there's a story behind the story behind the story here. Amen. Um, I had reached out to Luke Story, uh, as I love his show, um, The Lifestylist uh, podcast, to let him know about the HIV fraud back in 2017, see if he was willing to do an episode on it. Mm. Um, Long story short, he actually he's like, oh, funny thing. I'm having Dr. Brogan on the show next week. He's like, I'll ask her about this issue. But then he never did. Didn't, yeah. Long, long story short, um, he decided that the idea that HIV is an exosome was too conspiratorial and political uh, for the scope of his show, which I totally respect. Um, and it was at that moment that I realized I had to grow some balls. I got to do some testicle breathing <laughs> and, and I had to start my own show. So it was, it was a blessing because it was like, okay, I need to step up. And you were speaking with Paul check on a recent podcast about how, when you initially stepped up, you attracted people flying over your house, taking aerial shots and like that whole kind of craziness. 
So I kind of attracted a bit of that at, at first too. Like I'd share one of your articles on pharma abusing women in the realm of the HIV uh, medications. And then like all these gay men would like start a hate group about me on, on Facebook. And it was like, whoa, this is really intense. But I saw how you handled your, you being criticized so graceful. I, I saw how Dr. Northrup did it. I saw how my German New Medicine tribe did it. Okay, it's okay, you know. I learned in sociology in UBC at, at university, if you're challenging the status quo, one third of people will love it, one third mm -hmm. of people will be neutral, and one third of people will think you're a complete nut job and want you to die. Yeah. <laughs> so not it's, personal. It's not personal. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. And I think things like Kundalini yoga and uh, breath work, they help us process trauma and pain and discomfort so that we can be more pragmatic in situations where we're being criticized or when we're being praised. I love how um, the Bhagavad Gita says yoga is the practice of tolerating the consequences of being yourself. Wow, and that's the intention of yoga is to just be equanimous, whether you're being praised or criticized, mm -hmm. or whether you experience success or failure, or whether you experience victory or defeat. So it's, it's been great because it's almost like strength training when you get criticized. And it's also like strength training when you get praised to not take that personally either. Yes, that's um, what I've taken. I, I, uh, I read a book called Unconditional Parenting by Alfie Cohn and uh, it was very, very impactful. I kind of summarize it at the end of my, my last book in, you know, I'm, I'm here to end some cycles in my, in my lineage. And, uh, and this was one of the most important lessons was to punish children and to praise them is to enculturate them around conditional love and the cultivation of the shadow, right? So they, they learn not to experience uh, fulfilling, you know, sort of behaviors in life, even socially rewarding behaviors like sharing, let's say, sh Billy sharing his blueberry with Sally because of their own internal experience of why that would be gratifying, but instead because they garner the approval of their caregiver. Oh, it's so good that you shared that. That was nice, you know, and, and that's where it begins. And I think that the work around, you know, sort of so many people, I'm sure people ask you, you know, how do you deal with it? Uh, ask me that. And I think it's the practice of legitimization, right? So when you, I love uh, Gabor Mate, who unfortunately has also, um, I know his uh, taking the bait. Yeah, I know. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's going to be a bunch of us left standing. Don't worry. Yes. Uh, but anyway, he's his uh, incredible recent documentary, um, Wisdom of Trauma. He, you know, he, he gives an example in a, in a little sort of rec recording where he's telling a woman, you know, how would you react if I told you you have ugly green, something like this, you have ugly green hair. And she's like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> And he's like, well, exactly. You know, so, so if I tell you that you're a monster and you know that that's not true, right? Like you're legitimized in that reality. Mm -hmm. It ain't no, it ain't no. It's when there's fertile soil that it's actually, it's actually worth looking at where people are asking you to look and just check it out, you know? Uh, and that practice, it doesn't cost anything. Um, but it does help us to see, wow, I'm, I'm divided here in my, in my own connection to what I'm saying is true for me. And that's why I am vulnerable. I mean, my, my, uh, you know, dedication to, to the belief in the body was a, 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 a you know, a spiritual awakening process. You know, it was like, it's yeah, not, a, it's not something I learned in a book. This is unshakable for me. I don't 
care at all if people don't agree, if people think I'm crazy. It's, it literally has zero effect on me. You want to see me brought to my knees, however, you know, like look at me in my, you know, romantic relationship or, you know, in, in my family of origin dynamics. And, and I self-abandoned chronically where I'm like trying to seek connection insecurely attached to my own truth. Um, you know, so we all have our Achilles heel and, and that's where it's best to work and really come to see how, you know, um, we are micro betraying ourselves and then experiencing that betrayal from the outside. Totally. Yeah. I find it similar thing as the years go by people. I don't know when they criticize me, it, it washes off me more and more, but it's the family dynamic sometimes where I, I can fall into like, I'm the little victimized, you know, gay choir boy <laughs> once more i'm like i thought i dealt with that one already <laughs> i guess he's still in there he's still in there give him You're a seat at the table crazy. he's so cute i <laughs> <laughs> so cute big old cheeks in his glasses <laughs> um i'd love to read what you had sent me in 2017 because it was really helpful and wow i, I have no idea this is <laughs> it was so good and it i think it'll help people listening as well um, you actually, you called yourself a denialist, which I thought was really ballsy. As a denialist, I've turned to sources like this, uh, www.duesberg.com, great scientist, Peter Duesberg. Um, but here is another theory, more man-made vaccine-based. And then you um, shared an article with Green Med Info, from Green Med Info about uh, what really caused the AIDS epidemic, sort of like an idea that it was the polio vaccine uh, contaminated monkey kidney tissues. And then this is where it got, it was really, really helpful for me. Either way, the truth is we have no idea what HIV is. Many believe that it has never even been isolated as a virus. What antibodies mean? Many believe they are normative or even healthy. And anytime we are dealing with a syndrome, depression, Lyme, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, candida, we have to always address the terrain first before we jump into fighting anything. Moreover, recent scientific, uh, recent science around exosomes helps us to see the viruses are no different from these messenger vesicles that we use for our own DNA expression. Not to mention that some 45% or more of our genome is viral in origin. There's a lot more nefarious info on pharma's agenda with these drugs, particularly abroad, but he should know that it reeks of public health manipulation biopolitics style. In short, never ingest disabling chemicals that render you a patient for life when that decision is predicated on outdated scientific narratives and robust industry profits. And it was it was good. It was I mean, to hear that back in the Piscean age, it was like a light bulb went off. So my first question to you is, when did you first realize that HIV and germ theory were fraudulent? And then my follow-up question is, with all of the research that you've done since then on this topic, would it be accurate to say that your current understanding is even more akin to that of Germanic medicine uh, and Dr. Kaufman's view in that HIV is really no more than an exosome or cellular debris? Uh, or do you think that the theory that HIV AIDS epidemic resulted from medical trials of a polio vaccine prepared using chimpanzee tissue cultures in the 50s still holds any water? Mm, I love this. Wow. So I, uh, my path has been littered with <laughs> or, or 
you know, sanctified by, I don't know, <laughs> the most um, timely literature, right? So it's like book, article, you know, blog, even um, at just the moment when I'm ready to see something, it, it falls into my hands. And I remember that I read uh, the article that I referenced in that notorious blog you talked about um, that actually, you know, put me on the cover of the New York Post and all this stuff as an AIDS denialist, um, uh, pharma abusing women. I forget what I've retitled it. But uh, anyway, I read an article, I think it was in Harper's or something. What was I even reading that for? I have no idea how I came on this article by Celia Farber. Yeah. Yeah. Who's an amazing, um, still is, you know, she didn't, uh, I have on questioning COVID an amazing article that she recently wrote on the PCR test and, you know, she's still at it. So she, um, my specialty, uh, which some may not know was in prescribing psychotropic medications to pregnant and breastfeeding women. That was my thing. I was one of the first 300 in the world to specialize in that. And so I had a special interest in the way in which uh, antiretrovirals were being handled in this population. And she wrote an article about it and it just turned on the lights for me, you know, the whole concept of Koch's postulates. And, you know, at that time I was transitioning. So yeah, that was around 2014, 2015. I was transitioning out of the germ theory consciousness. When I first began to research vaccines, which is when I was pregnant. So in 2008, 2000, 2000, yeah, 8, 2009, um, I certainly did so from a germ theory perspective. And, you know, many, if not most of the uh, vaccine awareness advocates, if you will, uh, are sort of using the playbook of this, you know, Cartesian or worse, a Freemason perspective on, on what these, uh, what the vectors of illness actually are in the whole infectious disease model. Um, and the, you know, sort of, I don't know, invisible particle infesting and claiming your life, um, kind of a psychology. So they borrow from that and they talk about things like antigenic priming and, um, you know, these viral, uh, contaminants that are oncogenic and, you know, the, um, outbreaks and how many of them are happening in totally vaccinated populations versus not, and how bad are these diseases and, uh, really, and it, there's still, it's still all predicated on a belief in contagion and infection. And I absolutely believed in that, um, until I didn't. And what's really interesting, a quick story is that my, um, I don't know what it's called. My ex mother, my ex's mother-in-law. I don't know. Is there a name for that? Anyway, she, um, was an amazing, incredible activist, you know, warrioress, uh, total OG. And she, um, passed away mm -hmm. during this, uh, very, very difficult time in my, in my life, in my then husband's life. Um, and, Long story short, she was talking to me about German new medicine at the end of her life. And at the time I was like, yeah, 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 that's nice. But what are you really going to do? And I already was in the functional medicine world. And so I was like, you got to do vitamin C drips and all this stuff. I hadn't yet met my mentor, Nick Gonzalez, as life would have it. Um, and so she passes about a year later, I'm meditating and I, you know, for me, meditation is like 
it's like a hygiene, you know, I don't have mystical experiences. Like I've, I've probably had in, you know, 10 years, like two cumulative minutes of like zero point consciousness, you know? So it's not, it's just something that I, it's a practice. It's a self-care practice, right? Nonetheless, I had my first experience of like hearing something Mm. from within. And it was go look at her last email. This was like a year or so you know, after she passed, I went and looked at the email and it was all about German new medicine. Wow. And at the time I wasn't ready to receive it or hear it. I dove in and I never, I never have come out. Right. So <laughs> I, that's, that's what really, of course I was ready. That's what really jailbroke me uh, from this concept of cancer metastases, this concept of infection and contagion. And of course the idea that symptoms in any way, which I already knew um, are a problem something to be um, tampened down, something to be resolved. So it's interesting, wow, 2017 to hear, you know, what I wrote at that time that I was still sort of like considering this, um, you know, this this whole kind of, you know, conspiracy theory, because there's the conspiracy theory and then there's the conspiracy theory. <laughs> you know, it's like, you got to dig down, dig down, dig down. Yeah. Um, and the one beneath is the one that I'm most aligned with now, which is, there was nothing ever and there's still nothing. And the whole thing was a rehearsal for what it is that we are experiencing now. And that does not mean that people were not, uh, and, and, and in certain populations, especially, right. We're not experiencing lifestyle and or environmental, uh, challenges. You know, it is like the polio phenomenon, right? If you look at the history of DDT and you track um, the relationship between the, you know, so-called polio epidemics and, and DDT exposure, you know, there are many other explanations for what can look infectious. Co-exposure to a toxicant is, is the easiest one. German new medicine, of course, invokes, um, yes, yes. Oh my God. Absolutely. I, I sometimes think I'm like the only one who actually read that. Tome, <laughs> but I'm glad to see that I'm not so important. Yeah, what really for those listening, what really makes you ill by Don Lester and David Parker. It's get it on get it online before they ban it. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so so the toxicant model, you know, explains a lot. And the the deeper context is like, well, some people are poisoned and some aren't when both are exposed. So there's got to still be a deeper explanation, right? It still can't, in my universe, it still can't be that random. So I I do believe that we experience, you know, what it is that we need to, uh, so that we can see ourselves. Um, And through that lens, you know, a combination of, you know, whether it's poppers or whatever, lifestyle exposures um, and, or, psycho-spiritual conflicts uh, mm-hmm. in the setting of a very elaborate uh, capture and induction into a pharmaceutical dependency lifestyle model uh, was, that's all that's needed to explain. Uh, the, you know, the idea that antibodies, right? So, so it's important to just put this very basic thing out there, which is that in so many of the infectious disease tests, in fact, I, I think it's actually all, um, antibodies are considered different stages of protection, right? IgG, IgM. Yeah. Somehow, you know, when it comes to HIV, however, 
um, it's now considered evidence of illness. And right. that, you know, the more antibodies you have somehow, the, the sicker you are, and they're elaborate as there always are, sort of, you know, hand-waving explanations for that gross inconsistency. Um, but suffice it to say, we have really very little idea what antibodies represent. And the most compelling explanation is that they are reparative, uh, if anything, and they don't have anything, <laughs> you know, valid, validated to do with so-called um, infectious illness or the course of that. So that's why when we look at, it's the same story as with this pandemic, when we look at the testing and the fraud associated with the testing, the scientific, in, you know, sort of inconsistencies associated with, with the testing, ELISA testing. And, and we look at this idea that, you know, so many have, have really devoted their lives to uh, exposing that, the virus has never been isolated. Um, so what are we even talking about? And often antibodies are considered surrogate markers. So it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we can't, can't find it, but we can find that this is here. And this has, to, it's like a reverse engineer, right? This right. has to do with that. So we already have eight assumptions beneath that, that you have to swallow so that you can agree that this is meaningful to any capacity. But that's why with even the antibody tests, I mean, you have you know, pregnant women who test positive and it is, yeah. you know, you have people of all different, um, medical and physical, you know, statuses that are testing positive and you start to develop this concept of the asymptomatic carrier, which is an essential tool for the biopolitic, right? It's an essential tool for capturing, not only those who are made sick, either for reasons unrelated um, to a so-called infectious illness, but also by the very pharmaceutical interventions that are targeting these populations that are captured by positive tests. Yes. But then you also have well people suddenly, you know, who are now believing that something's actually wrong with them and that they too are not only sick, but obviously with the, I mean, I don't know if, if we could say, you know, the fear mongering around COVID versus HIV. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably comparable to some extent, but I think when HIV was first launched as a PSYOP, it, I mean, the extremity of that, you know, fear. Oh, yeah. So, um, I mean, we know from the medical literature that that hexing is, is very, it's, yeah. very, it's biological. I love um, how you really reified that in your ebook is HIV to AIDS. What stars cov 2 is to COVID that you co-wrote with uh, Dr. Kaufman and Torsten Engelbrecht at all. Um, and you, you brought up how in certain um, preliterate tribes uncontacted by uh, colonialists, there was the pointing the bone and literally like the shaman witch doctor, if somebody had committed a crime or they just wanted them dead, they would literally just point a bone at them and then they would die within a few days. And that hexing, <clears throat> the allopathic system really minimizes the power of the mind. You can literally kill yourself just by your thoughts. <laughs> That's right. And it's, you know, been demonstrated. I remember that Sayer published um, an article that showed a 16 fold, as I remember, increase in um, heart attacks. I think it was after a cancer diagnosis. Right. So so this just demonstrable morbidity uh, yeah. that is associated with simply being diagnosed and, of course, never more so than in the realm of cancer and uh, HIV, probably. Um, you know, and, and it's, 
it's it's important to I think dig deep enough because if you just stop at the layer of well there are natural ways you know to manage this problem and I mean I've actually not known anyone who's ever taken on HIV AIDS so-called patients and treated them naturally and I think that's probably a good thing because that whole co-opted market of you know, sort of greenwashed allopathy didn't yes. really, you know, come into being. And so folks like you had to really be the intrepid soldiers of this, you know, this truthing process uh, where you just got a jailbreak from the entire damn thing and recognize nothing was ever wrong with you other than, you know, whatever it is that led you to experience yourself as sick and bad and broken and coming back through that birth canal there's you got to go through it you know into an experience of deeper connection to the you that was always um down in there that's beautiful yeah it's always like an encouragement to do this major eyes and shift and so that we stop mirroring back whatever shadows are there within us being this like um dr northrop we were talking about calling like spiritually reparenting ourselves Yep. Um, so just one more question sort of about the whole, like the different perspectives that are kind of going around right now about what viruses are. One really prominent perspective <clears throat> is that of Dr. D uh, Zach Bush. I'm not sure if you've spoken with him, but he's, he's always saying things like viruses are not an attack mechanism. Viruses foster new adaptive behavior from our immune system. Viruses are forcing adaptation for our immune system to have a higher intelligence, shake off the fear and start to focus on biology as a single phenomenon. It's all of life at once communicating through the virome. And like I had Alex Zach on the show and I, I said, <laughs> what do you think about that? And he's like, well, I mean, Dr. Zach Bush is amazing and he's contributing mm -hmm. so greatly, but I would just ask him like, could you show me a paper where like <laughs> any sort of like virome virus has been ever like isolated and proven to cause infection? Cause it sounds cool. It's poetic, but, right? It's yeah, very poetic. poetic. Yeah. 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 No, I, I've, I mean, not to be sort of diminishing or patronizing in saying that I've been there, you know, what, what I really mean to say is I believed that as well. And, you know, the, even in, in hearing your email, there's a little cringe that I have to feel hearing myself in 2017 say virome, you know, um, because I think that with the, the dawning of this concept of the microbiome, those of us who had, you know, sufficient allegiance to body wisdom, uh, we really found a way to make friends and make a truce with so-called pathological bacteria and viruses and, and parasites and, and fungus. And there still was this underlying very, it's very sort of insidious um, belief that says you're vulnerable, right? right? If your immune system is weak, these bad guys are going to take over. And right. even this concept of opportunism is a very, you know, random universe. It's materialist universe. It's sort of like, you know, the billiard balls kind of model of existence. And that um, it's just a different worldview than vitalism that, you know, than, than sort of um, the psycho-spiritual perspective of the body as an expression of the soul, you right. know, showing you, you. And uh, through that lens and, you know, through through the work of, of so many, um, who have dedicated their lives to exposing, you know, the, the virus myth, 
uh, including, you know, books by that name. Um, yeah. Where's the science, right? Where is the evidence, right? Right. What? How, let's back up and start with whether or not a virus has ever actually been proven. There you go, proven to exist. And it, if it hasn't, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry uh, for the listeners for the audio version. This is Virus Mania by Torsten Engelbrecht uh, et al. And uh, you can, if you want to listen to the audiobook, Dr. Sam Bailey just did an audio version on Audible. Virus. She's amazing. Yeah, she's great. Sorry. She's amazing. No, it's it's excellent. And and you know, you got you have to be able to suspend enough assumptions to even take in science like that. Um, right. And I understand when you haven't dug deep enough. In in my experience, the vast majority of the talking heads, I can probably name, you know, four to five MDs total who have a microphone to their mouths, um, who have dug this deep. And my explanation is that, you know, allopathy is a cult. Escaping this cult is something you do, you know, by the skin of your teeth. And how, of course, it can't be that this is a, a, a common experience. And, and I, I actually credit my very particular, you know, sort of trauma history and patterns and programming to whatever it took for me to finally open, you know, my mind this wide, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really, um, compelling what Zach describes and it keeps us really captured by the very narrative that it purports to, disrupt. And so I actually think that's controlled opposition. That's actually, to my mind, the definition of controlled opposition is, you know, when you, when you keep people from looking really behind the curtain and you show them, oh, this look over here, look over here. It's a, it's a slightly different, more pleasant, almost, um, you know, it's like a sort of opiate of the masses kind of effect. Hypnosis. Um, Exactly. Exactly. That's what, that's what, um, Tom Barnett, who who made that viral video about viruses not being what we were taught they were. Yes, I um, remember that. Yeah, that's what he said about Bush too. And I think it would just be so cool to, and I've reached out to Bush many times to maybe have like a roundtable discussion on this topic and have like people like you or Dr. Kaufman in a roundtable with Dr. Bush and just hash it out. So maybe at some point that will happen. Um, as I was telling you before, the most pushback I get um, is from gay men who have made hate threads about me online, saying I'm anti-vaxxer, AIDS denialist, just for sharing your articles and other information that challenges. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, oh, not sorry. It's <laughs> literally, it's literally fine. It's like, I know, I'm I, it's no, you're sweet. Uh, <laughs> this is what I hear most from um, older gay men who lived through the the worst of the so-called uh you know aids uh pandemic in the 80s they'll say well i know tons of people who died before so how can you say that it was azt that killed everybody and then my response is with my knowledge of germanic new medicine and after reading your ebook it's very clear to me that the propensity for death fright conflicts diagnosis shocks uh pointing the bone as you discuss Um, at that time in the 80s and early 90s, coupled with insane levels of drug abuse, poppers, uh, crystal meth, cocaine, heroin. I mean, we know the first five people diagnosed with HIV AIDS and was called gay-related immune disease back then were all injection drug users, uh, coupled by being kicked out of your house by your family for being a faggot. I mean, for being bisexual in West Van, I experienced 
insane levels of, you know, being pushed into trash cans and just for being the only boy in choir, it wasn't even really a gay thing. Um, so that coupled with the media using celebrities, as you discussed in the ebook, like Rock Hudson and Freddie Mercury uh, as victim stories, um, is the per- all of that is the perfect recipe for people dying before even AZT. AZT was just like an extra yeah. poison. Happy um, vaccine. I mean, this, yeah, right. the million oh, vectors. Yeah. So I, I just would love to hear you elaborate on how you see that. I, I feel like you probably see it. Yeah. The same way. You know, it's, it's interesting because when I, when I dedicated my practice in, in 2010 to helping women come off of psychotropics and other medications, I, and, and, and move through the, learned about the, the dark night of the soul through their processes. I, I came to see firsthand that they would get to the, um, the threshold of the door out of my, you know, sort of like office for good. And there was such a hesitation, such, um, almost like a desire to crawl back up in, in, into the womb in ways. And I saw what it is to give up a patient identity to give up what it was that you were getting out of being sick. And it sounds crazy, right? Like who wants to be sick? Who wants to take meds? Who wants to be a patient for life? And, you know, we, uh, derive this surrogate sense of empowerment, which of course ultimately is, there's no such thing as a, it's a disempowerment. We derive, um, validation, you know, from these labels and from certainly, you know, when it's a, a sort of, um, I call it victim coddling, you know, it's like a, a communities built up around the support of these um, Stockholm individuals. Mm-hmm. And to take that away would mean to recognize, reckon with, and then ultimately transform whatever it was that it was doing for you. So what does an illness label do for you? Well, um, it, it makes you write about how wronged you've been, how unlucky, um, you know, how sad it is, um, how disadvantaged, how really victimized you've been um, by circumstances, by your body, whatever the narrative is. And then it also um, really holds the tension of a low ceiling over your life. So there's no need to you know, burst onto the stage of your wildest performance in this life because you have a built in, I can't. And the energy of, I can't is the ultimate self betrayal energy. It's the ultimate victim consciousness. There is nothing but suffering in that existential plane. And, you know, that, um, suffering becomes almost an addiction. It becomes a a habit of struggle, literally neurologically, where to move into a vibration of personal empowerment, choice, harmony, pleasure, joy, that would take a titration of expansion that takes years of readying, you know? So we are so uh, committed to collapsing into that suffering vibration over time that we actually want it to be that way. Uh, we, we need it to be that way. So when you take away the foundation of someone's identity, this is existential level stuff, right? This is not about a debate 
Um, this is not about, you know, oops, I, oh, I guess I was wrong about that. Okay, dust myself off and get on with my life. You know, there is a rebirth that is in, called for in these, uh, in these moments of cognitive dissonance. And most of us resolve, unplug my computer in, most of us end up resolving, you know, that dissonance through denial. Right. True that. Um, a quote I <clears throat> heard recently from Mike F. Perry, I'm, I'm another medical doctor. I can say that I did go to medical school and it taught me how ugly the medical system is, aka spent 10 years in a big pharma indoctrination camp. <laughs> oh my God, who is this guy? I love it. <laughs> board, <laughs> board certified in Rockefeller medicine. Sadly, <laughs> most medical professionals are the most brainwashed people on the planet. The majority, and the reason why this is so pertinent to what you just said is people, I'm not going to mention names, certain friends and certain family members are some of the most, like if I say, hey, can you come to this conference on rethinking AIDS? They'll say, well, the conference isn't put on by a real doctor. Um, you know, uh, it's all these ad hominem attacks and belittling rather than just looking at the facts. So anyway, and these are people who've been in these indoctrination camps. Yes. The majority push, here we go. The majority push germ theory vaccines and chemical pills, experts in suppressing symptoms, but have failed at healing anything. You can learn more about real healing by watching your dog. When he or she gets sick, it stops eating, which heals it, period. Look to nature and look away from anyone who went to medical school. <laughs> so my, my question to you is, um, and there's some amazing doctors that I know in emergency medical care. Um, so I don't want to like bash the whole system, obviously, but I'm wondering if you've had a similar sentiment. I sense you do. And do you still honor your medical education or have you thrown mm -hmm. out the window? So interesting that you should ask that. I, um, I really had a reckoning with that, uh, over the past, I would say two or so, well, yeah, two, two and a half years where I recognized that I am still very much, first of all, let me back up and say, I am still the Kelly that thought she was helping people, women by prescribing them Zoloft and Clonopin in the second trimester of their pregnancy. Okay. I am still that person. If I reject that part of me, that dimension of me that felt she could only find love through her intellect, through mastery, through control, through all of the, you know, shadowy elements of the way that I identified with safety back then. If I reject that part, I'm going to end up projecting it right. onto someone else, onto something else, onto some system. So for me, it's very important to hold that within me and also to recognize it gives me a very unique perspective. I believed all the things, right? And, yes. and yeah. now like, you know, like you read and, and, and now I see differently. Um, so I, uh, I chose to um, renew my license, my medical license. And I, and I really wasn't sure about it because there is something, I, I closed my practice a couple of years ago. Um, I no longer believe that I am well-suited for the doctor-patient relationship because I think that that dyadic power dynamic um, doesn't serve, you know, and I have an online program where I don't have that 
relationship with anyone and our outcomes are better than in my private practice where people were paying me probably six times as much, you know? Right. So I, I felt like that was no longer for me uh, or for them or for anyone. And, um, and I decided to, to renew my license and you have to take all these like CMEs, right? Hmm. So, you know, rather than looking for ones on like something I could even vaguely stomach, I decided to like go for gold and I did like a mask, you know, like a, like a, like a face mask, um, CME and a, a COVID vaccine CME and like updates about COVID. And I normally don't expose myself too much of mainstream anything anymore. I just like, don't, don't bother. I have other things like I, I want to read and look at and talk about and do and sew myself a shirt or whatever. And <laughs> it was, you know, it really induced in me, um, a, a surrender <laughs> because I could feel, you know, it's doctors often like, you know, recording little lectures or whatever and writing these things. And mm-hmm. I could feel they know not what they do, you know, that like they, they don't in these pyramid schemes of the occult, no one, but the tippy tippy top has any clue. You think I knew that I was participating, you know, in, uh, in what it is I was participating. No, I had, I had no concept. Um, and so there's, there's a a genuine innocence, I would say, uh, at these lower rungs of, you know, sort of implementation of this control grid that is allopathic medicine. And I really felt like, wow, they really believe this and it's internally consistent. Mm -hmm. That's what's important. Right. So they tell you your lifestyle choices don't matter. Here's what matters and here's how you deal with it. And it kind of all is consistent with that worldview, right? These worldviews do not match. They do not go. They are mutually exclusive. And that's why if I feel there is, you know, an enemy so-called, you know, or, or some, some great challenge to, uh, the unfoldment I would prefer to see it's actually integrative and functional medicine, um, where that lies, because that's where the energy of the allopathic model is cloaked in, you know, in sheep's clothing, you know, if you you will. And, um, it's not in allopathy, right? Like, so, so for me, it's kind of like, they're showing us what they are. They're not hiding it. Pharma never said they're here for your well being. Never one time. Right. And that's not their tagline, right? It's a business. And if we consent, you know, to participate in that worldview, if we um, align with that kind of perspective, if we, I always tell people, like, you know, listen, as you're exiting the system, the medical system, if you go to a doctor, if you go to an emergency room, make sure you tell yourself it's a choice that you're making. Do not take the bait of your own self-betrayal and say that you have to. I don't care if your arm is hanging off its socket, okay? It is still a choice. And when you remain aligned with that very deep truth, you remain in some degree of empowerment, right? It's only when we, when we say, you know, like I have to, I had no choice that we, we really capitulate to a narrative that is, um, unintegrated. It's incoherent, mm-hmm. right? Cause you're either doing the allopathic thing or you're, or you're not. And if you're somewhere in between, at least make sure that you retain your agency. I, I think that's really important. Um, but- so I really don't have like strong 
strong feelings about it because I know that at this point, because I know that uh, it serves, you know, a certain dimension of consciousness, allopathic medicine, or it would not have the hold that it does. No one is at this point. I don't know anyone who's being forcibly injected while well, outside of locked psychiatric units, which is a whole nother story. Um, but I personally don't. Mm -hmm. And until I personally do, that's not my reality. And that's not to say that it's not happening or hasn't happened, or, you know, that this sort of um, tyrannical, you know, boot hasn't dropped. It's not to say any of that. It's just to say that if I become preoccupied with the anonymous victim, I'm in the drama triangle right. and I am, I am playing that rescuer part. And guess what? There's only victims in that triangle, right? So that energy is one that I have dedicated my entire life to stepping out of because it's actually the greatest vector, in my opinion, of, of harm and injury, uh, you know, that there is, is, is that victim consciousness that hides in all of these different places, blaming, uh, finger pointing. Yes. Rescuing. Yeah. What do you call that triangle? Um, it's, it's sometimes called the drama triangle, sometimes drama called triangle. the victim triangle. And it's basically the, uh, persecutor or the villain, um, the, the victim, and then the rescuer, the savior, right. right? And, you know, we, we, in most conflict, any pain point in your life, you're in that triangle. It's brilliant. I mean, it's an incredible tool to, um, smoke yourself out because totally. yeah, either you're saying poor me, poor me, poor me. And you're the victim who's like you know, damsel in distress or whatever. Um, most of us are going to find ourselves in the rescuer entering in the rescuer, but you, you tr sort of traffic around all the angles, but you, you, you have a place where you normally enter. And, and, and for me, of course, I made a career out of it. It's, it's in the rescuer. Um, and there's, first of all, a narcissism in, in the assumption that, you know, any one of us, has the special thing that is needed for this other individual who is the victim, right? Yeah. Um, but there is a, a very dangerous reification of the helplessness, incompetence, and powerlessness of the victim, right? Because if, like, for example, you know, I have a lot of friends here in Miami who are financially struggling, like really on the brink. And, um, and I have, you know, one very, very dear girlfriend, like a sister to me, who has struggled um, to pay her rent at times, right? And historically, I wouldn't even, you know, get her consent. I would just give her the money, right? Like that, that would, that's my patterning, right? That's the rescuer, right? And the trouble is um, that I learned over the years that when and if I were to do that, I am holding her in the energy of her own disempowerment by yeah. reifying this concept that she actually can't figure it out, that she didn't subconsciously manifest this for a reason. And that without me, she's headed down a linear trajectory towards, you know, badness. How do I know that any of that is true? Right. Um, and, and so, you know, sort of engaging people on that level um, or protecting them right from, from the, the badness out there is, is very problematic. And it's so common in the medical system, right? I, um, when you, when you go to the hospital, you know, I, I, uh, I often hear, you know, people who, who get captured, right. They're like, Oh, my, the angels, the doctors and nurses are such angels taking care of me or whatever. So, so the staff is playing the rescuer role. You of course are the victim. And then who's the persecutor? Well, it turns out 
it's your body, right? You are both aligning against your body. And that would be one thing if your body was a car that you had to keep from breaking down and repair when it did. It's quite another thing if your body is, you know, the the physical manifestation of your soul, right? And, and you are living in this Cartesian reality that says, no, the stuff of you is somehow apart from this messy, dirty, you know, sinful space of flesh, right? That programming is so deep. And we, every time we need our body to do something different than it is doing, we are betraying ourselves. And that's why we suffer because in my worldview that's that is the only origin of suffering is self-betrayal yes and i think that's why i resonate with your work i was listening to the rewild yourself podcast um i forget oh daniel vitalis is the host of it and he said that alternative medicine should actually like this is what i want to say about your work it's interesting that the dominator system who's created this drama triangle calls the medicine you promote alternative when really I see much of allopathic medicine as alternative because it's alternate to what is native to how humans have been healing themselves for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, so one of my friends wanted to ask me to ask you, why is the dominant medical system with all its flaws, the dominant medical system and something softer <clears throat> and in my opinion, more true, which takes the soul into consideration immediately considered quackery. Hmm. It depends, um, you know, again, how deep you want to go, right? <laughs> because uh, for, for me, in my worldview, which is that, you know, it's um, that we, we, we chose all this, right? Like we, we actually want all of this to be exactly how it is so right. that we can have an experience of consciousness awakening unto itself, right? And we can have an experience of recapturing, uh, reclaiming love. Um, We can experience separateness and then come into this mandala-like fabric of our own individualistic expression that is a co-creative quilt, you know, Um, that paradox. We can really settle down into the land of paradoxes. Um, So, I don't believe in domination-based warfare and like, we're going to, we're going to beat those elitists, right. Or, you know, we're going to win over, you know, the bad, the bad and the evil. Um, It's not that I don't believe in evil. I just, I believe that it stems from victim consciousness and, and, and not necessarily from these entities that um, well could be described as parasitically living off of our, our vital force. We are, giving it to them. I do believe right. that there's always consent um, and that there isn't uh, there isn't this random, you know, forced oppression. I, it, again, this is my biased perspective that there, that there is micro consent and there's macro consent, right? Having a smartphone is consent. Um, right. And if you're going to take the bait of convenience over your own sovereignty, well, that's absolutely your prerogative, but then don't have a tantrum when you know you are um, somehow finding yourself in the halls of your 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 greatest nightmare, right? So, I I do believe that the you know depending on whether or not you want to track 
to Luciferianism. You want to track to sort of like um, the the cult of belief that is masquerading as many secular uh, entities, organizations, industries. Uh, you know, this is obviously a bigger conversation. But if you understand the inversion that is at the core of these you know, the ways in which these occultists practice, they play with inversion. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's not a rational realm where you say, well, but alternative quote unquote medicine makes so much more sense and it's softer and gentler and it should be, why is it not, you know, why isn't Kelly Brogan president? You know, like it's like, that is not, um, I literally had somebody else. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's just like hilarious. <laughs> that, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. It's not supposed to work that way, right? Like the system isn't broken. It was built this way. I don't know from where that quote came from. But so if you understand, you know, the nature of these inversions, and there are many, many, many in our midst. I mean, I've come to question everything, everything I have ever learned in school, literally everything. I don't believe a single thing on mainstream media. It is 100% false flags in theater to me. So I have come to the place where it's like, you know what? I'm just going to get up and walk out of this movie. I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to get into another one instead of insisting that the movie plot go how I want it to go. Right. So allopathic medicine is an ingenious structure for the enculturation of self-abandonment and donation of pranic energy to this parasitic system. You can take that as metaphor. You can take it as a literal phenomena. Right. It, it has to be, um, because it is a cult, it has to be inherently dismissive, rejecting of and punishing of any who would challenge it or seek to leave it. That is its very nature. That's how it works. Right. And, and that's why when you look at what Rockefeller medicine um, has accomplished with, with naturopathy, um, with chiropractic, uh, with midwifery, and you see that, you know, like they provide, oh, we'll help you license. Let us organize, you know, right. um, CEUs for your, you know, your students who are learning and we'll take care of it. And, and, you know, and they just get sucked into the fold. And now they're operatives of that very, I mean, I don't think, I mean, even, you know, God, it stems everywhere. Education, Waldorf. I mean, it's, they're all, um, they're captured, they're captured and they gave up the goods, right? right. So they were not taken. No, our, our rights are not taken. We give know, them. We I don't know if you met uh, Amanda Vollmer or spoke. Yes, absolutely. Yes, she, she's wonderful, like you, and she's one of the few naturopathic doctors who said yes. no. I'm not allowing this cult to co-opt what I do. So she gave up her naturopathic. She gave it up. I know. I think that's very, very admirable. And I'm, get, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Awesome. Uh, so my last, my last sort of thing I just wanted to touch on was thanking you and Sayer for creating this global movement of the thank you body rally, because that's so in alignment with this whole idea that we don't, we can just get out of the room. It's yeah. like German new medicine. We don't need to rearrange the furniture. We just go into a different room. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of pushing against the cult, we can celebrate the power of our bodies. So I got to sing and we were dancing and doing some yoga um, at the thank you body rally in uh, Vancouver. Uh, I love the vibration of it all because it was about celebrating the body rather than pushing against the dominator system. 
<clears throat> and the drama triangle. Yes. Um, it was about celebrating what's real and true and expansive for each individual. Um, it was about body appreciation. Uh, you spoke recently on Paul Check's show about how, about the sensuality of embodiment. You mm -hmm. spoke about engaging the senses that we've been gifted, relishing the body and development of what we would call in yoga, our self-sensory system. <clears throat> you spoke of getting to be a model of joy and expansion, modeling to each other that these choices of fearless faith in the human body are really fun, enjoyable, pleasurable, vital, rather than arguing through PubMed citations. And I thought that was great because sometimes I, I used to do that a lot too. Yeah. Like, hey, wait, it actually feels way better to just teach dudes testicle breathing, you know, <laughs> up, uplift the world that way. Like, I don't know if you've read Power Versus Force by David R. Hawkins, but he talks about how there's this scale of consciousness. Yes, yes, yes. I know about well, that. Yeah. Somebody's like, people are always asking him, like, how do I help the world? He's like, the world doesn't need to be helped, which is what you yeah. just said. It's perfect as it is. You could actually help the world more by just keeping your mouth shut and going and meditating in a cave and dancing and enjoying and influencing the morphogenic field around the planet just by dancing more, which I noticed that you're doing some beautiful dance and it's really inspired me to dance more and sing more. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I always, um, I always want to put like a little asterisk or something when, you know, I'm ever, uh, caught saying things like, you know, it's important to experience joy and pleasure, you know, in my world of, I'm allergic to spiritual bypass personally. Right. And in, in my world, um, there is a harrowing initiation before every expansion. That's why I've called it the spiral path, right? Because you come around the same damn patterns over and over and over again of your own abuse, right? From your experience of childhood, except now you're an adult. So you're the one abusing yourself. Even mm -hmm. if it seems like someone else in your life is doing it, you're choosing, you're consenting. And when you're ready and not a moment before, you will move in the direction of your own self-trust, your own self-alignment, and you will take that leap that necessarily involves a loss of connection, a source of validation that you think you will die without. The feeling that you are moving into your expansive potential for joy and pleasure is literally that you are going to die, literally, okay? That the confusion, like you're a melting caterpillar in the chrysalis is the signature. And it's through these portals that we come to entrain our nervous system to accept, you know, our birthright of, of pleasure and expansion and, and joy. I don't think it's something you just like wake up on a Tuesday and choose. That has not been my experience not mine either. <laughs> whatsoever. So it's, it's, you know in ways it's, it's rewarded. Um, you know, it's, it's earned. I mean, I hate to sort of look at it that way, but I think we're so deep in that conditioning that that's why we experience it this way. We are no longer, um, it's not available to us because of all the intergenerational trauma that has accumulated in our tissues, in our psyches, in our, you know, spirit bodies. It's not available to retain from birth, you know, that, that wholeness, we, we want to fracture and fragment and then put it all together. That's, that's the experience of this human, um, journey that I really do think we, we opted in for. Thank you for explaining that. I like that the spiral path, cause that's been my experience too. Um, 
And it's, you know, to be honest, to be transparent, I do daily breath work, 20 minutes to an hour of conscious connected breathing. Yesterday, I was like hitting pillows. I was crying my eyes out. But there's something about surrendering to the pain that is cathartic. And it feels better than suppressing it. But our society doesn't give us very many tools to process pain. So once we start to realize that it actually feels better to, like somebody said, if you want to feel better, you've got to get better at feeling. So I love that. that. Yeah, yeah, it actually feels better to go through this um, this painful metamorphosis than it does to just like stay in that spiritually bypassed state. So my last question for you is, what do you see for the future, your ideal future for your family uh, and for the world? What evidence have you seen for hope for the future of the truth coming out? Oh, wow. Well, I have I have children and I'll tell you that. Um, there's a, there's a squeeze, like an ache in my heart mm -hmm. for what it is, you know, to be a child, uh, right now. And, you know, my, my children are as free as, as they get, you know, like they've never worn a mask. I mean, it's like they, they live in a, they're not, um, suffering the way I know so many children are suffering right now. Um, and it is, um, we're in that liminal space, you know, uh, a lot of, what Jung describes as the individuation process, I do think is happening for us as a collective, you know, we're, we're walking into um, this uncharted territory that is neither the womb of the dependent uh, nurturance of our old, you know, illusions of safety, um, nor is it the sovereign actualized, like, here's my declarative, I am, you know, society. And we're in this space of challenges, of tests, of breakdowns, of, you know, reaching up against the limits of our existential experience. And I think it's going to be like this for a bit, you know, a bit. And all that we can do to help anchor this new story, this um, new self-concept for us as a collective and as individuals is find those pain points in your own damn life, you know, do the work on the ground uh, of coming into your authentic self-alignment while offering connection. You know, um, this, this concept I, I picked up of, you know, a strong spine and a soft heart. How can you, yeah, really, really courageously listen to yourself and your truth and not take the bait of having to prove it. So no PubMed, you know, abstract, <laughs> not having to prove it to anyone, yeah. um, not having to seek the approval of what it is that you're asking for, knowing what you need. Um, these kinds of very basic steps towards healing our, our relationship to our, you know, trauma body, I do believe will create the coherence from which, you know, this, this new interdependent experience will emerge. But, you know, I'm an individualist and I believe that only through our, our individualism, can we gift something back to society that would not otherwise have been available. And I do think that the communitarianism, the collectivism um, concept of, you know, altruism and giving and taking care of the vulnerable and, you know, this anonymous victim, it's being leveraged 
you know, it's being leveraged to keep us dependent children and the audacity um, to grow into your adult consciousness is it's the greatest courage you'll ever access in your life. And you'll know that you're ready because you cannot choose the pain of your, your life, you know, as it stands any longer, not for one more minute. And you find relief in moving towards that, which you were previously terrified um, to imagine you could ever live without. I mean, that to me is like the, the template for knowing you're moving into um, your actualized self. Thank you, Kelly. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, thank you for being an example of, of what I consider to be a true Aquarian human being. Hmm. It's such an honor. What a beautiful experience for me to come, you know, touching um, back full circle with you after all these years and, and to see you shining your light and, and gifting, you know, your heart um, to so many. So thank you. My pleasure. Say hi to Sayer. Tell him that I love his work. We have a, a whole, um, <laughs> not to put people up on pedestals, but uh, no, please yeah. don't. <laughs> None of us. But it's, I think it's, it's that we were talking off air before about that cultivation of the global tribe. And, and you, you did sp speak on Paul Check's podcast about how you've come to realize that people who need to hear what you are sharing will hear it. And we don't have to like push to be on CNN no. or Oprah. No. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Somebody said, don't put up, don't put anybody on a pedestal because then they've got a long way to fall. Mm. So part of that Aquarian age that we're in is like, we're all there together. We're all in this circle together rather than this hierarchy. Right. We're all in together. So thank you for being that Aquarian example of sharing the knowledge and being an individual and being strong with your spine and soft with your heart. Mm. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Brogan. Oh, where can people, one more question, where can people uh, sign up for your online community? In, in German New Medicine, we have like such a, an importance placed on the tribe. Mm. So I'd love people to be able to access your online community. Yeah, so it's called Vital Life Project. And, um, you know, it's based on these health premises, but a lot of what we do is shadow work, psycho-spiritual um, sort of healing in, in this safe space. I do believe we all deserve, you know, those, those spaces of incubation yes. where we can really exhale and let down our guard and, and know that we're, um, in a shared value system with others. And so, yeah, it's all on kellybroganmd.com. Wonderful. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Brogan, for being on the show. And thanks to everyone for tuning in and supporting the Urban Yogi Podcast. If you want to learn more about Dr. Brogan's amazing life-transforming work, you can head over to kellybroganmd.com. Check out her free offerings, as well as her gated community, um, a safe space to grow and to heal and to learn. You know, I've learned from my breath work that it's not enough to just, you know, experience um, experience our trauma and feel it to heal it. We have to feel it to heal it in a safe space. And that's what Dr. Brogan has created over at Vital Life Project at kellybroganmd.com. And I'll leave you with a song that I love to sing. It's called Wild Horses, originally by the Rolling Stones. Namaste. Namaste.
Christmas lady Cry. 